This is it. The putt to win the tournament. If you sink it, the championship is yours. But on your backswing, your hat falls over your eyes. Is this how you're running your business? Poor visibility because you're still relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance software? To see the full picture, you need to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. With visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, budget, and more, NetSuite is everything you need to grow, all in one place. With NetSuite, you can automate your processes and close your books in no time while staying well ahead of your competition. 93% of surveyed businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Over 27,000 businesses already use NetSuite. And right now, through the end of the year, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program to those ready to upgrade at NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. Head to NetSuite.com slash C-Suite for special end-of-year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. It's the Kitchen Workshop on Edible Radio. Escribí esta canción Tiene un sonido latino Here's your host, Mary Riley. Solo se inglés, no español Welcome to the Kitchen Workshop on Edible Radio. I'm Mary Riley, former restaurant chef, adventurous home cook, and the publisher of Edible Pioneer Valley. Here in the Kitchen Workshop, we talk about my favorite kind of DIY project, the kind you can put on your plate and eat for dinner. And well, today on our show, we'll be talking about container gardening, as well as ways to use your harvest with Mary Beth Shaddix. Mary Beth is a master gardener, nursery owner, and writer and gardener for Cooking Light magazine. She's also the author of the Cooking Light Pick Fresh Cookbook. Welcome, Mary Beth. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be part of this today. Yes, well, we're thrilled to have you. So before we get started, I'd love to have our listeners get a little perspective on how you came to becoming a master gardener and owning a nursery. It, it sounds sort of like a dream job in many ways. I mean, my understanding is you started in the world of nine to five, the business side of publishing, um, working with magazines, right? right? That's right, which I, it makes me chuckle every time someone says it's a nine to five job because when are they <laughs> ever, right? Exactly. Um, nine to nine job with the suit and the high heels. And um, I practically lived in airports and conference rooms, and I loved every minute of it. I had a wonderful job with Cooking Light magazine and other magazines in the publishing world, but on the business side. So I lived in Excel databases and uh, conference calls and all those fun things. And I hit my 10-year anniversary, and I just thought, there's got to be more to this than fluorescent lighting, and I want to be outside and have my hands in the soil. And and, uh, I had a crazy idea to quit my job. Okay. Well, I think a lot of us can probably share that that, that instinct (laughs) or that impulse. So, so you quit your job and, and, and you, you set out on the road. And so um, did, you, did you go right into, into gardening? Did you take some time to sort of see, see what was out there in the big, the big bad world? You know, I did go right into gardening. And it's, it's wonderful to hear you describe yourself as an adventurous cook because I feel like I have the same outlook with food, but I, I'm not a trained chef. I didn't come from a, a, you know, a culinary background, but I worked in food all day long and had great contacts in food and I ate well with my job and I knew that I wanted to stay connected to food um, but really how I could get back to my roots. I grew up on a farm um, as you can hear in my accent. I grew up on a mm-hmm. farm in South Georgia and um, I knew I just wanted to be outside so I traveled all up and down the west coast and 
kind of went to the heart of it all in, in California, um, went to Copia, which is now defunct, but it was a beautiful resource for folks who want to grow their own food and mm-hmm. know about uh, culinary endeavors. And I had a moment in California with a friend. We walked to pick up her son after kindergarten one day, and he ran outside of his classroom, ran over to the school garden, and picked an apple out of a tree and ate that as his after-school snack. And I thought... Now there's something to this, and I want to yeah. be part of this, and I want to have this in my life, and I want to bring this back to where I live in Alabama. And mm-hmm. so I looked around and looked, um, really, it was a really easy first step, and I want to encourage anyone to do the same if you're the least bit interested in doing this um, after work. You don't have to be as drastic as me in quitting your job, but I checked into the local Master Gardener program, mm-hmm. and it's a wonderful volunteer uh, organization. Um, it's tied to the university system and to mm-hmm. Cooperative Extension, which is part of the Department of Agriculture. Yeah, and you can find and those in most a, every state, right? They're, yes, most yeah. every state. In fact, if you go to the, um, the American Horticulture Society website, there's a great link within there to, to find out. There's a United States map of how to find the Master Gardener Association in your state. Fantastic. And apply. So I would encourage anyone to do that. It's it's great because you meet fellow gardeners, but you also have a really structured uh, first step into mm-hmm. learning the right, um, you know, I guess just a great basis on everything from sun requirements to soil to pesticide use to not pesticide use to how to <laughs> sort garden of, organically. Yeah, creating um, the, the uh, yeah the full foundation to becoming to becoming a master gardener, to getting the full right. the full landscape, as it were. So that was my first step. And then, um, of course, I just wanted to dive right in. So I interviewed at a local garden center and mm-hmm. wanted to um, kind of get up to my elbows in plants. And it was great for me because you had to learn the botanical names, the Latin names of all the mm-hmm. plants, to be able to bring, to bring them up on the cash register. So that was a, a trial by fire and my first spring season, and I feel like I learned about two years' worth in 20 days. Right. It sounds like you got an extra, an additional benefit from that, that first nursery job in, in, <laughs> in your personal I life. I did. I did. I, a whole lot changed when I quit my job and went in search of, uh, of a new life. And I walked into that garden center not knowing what to expect, and the fellow that interviewed me for the job ended up being my husband today. So well, congratulations. That's it. wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> and it's all worked out in, uh, in a wonderful way. In that interview, he was so conflicted and confused as to why I left this magazine job and wanted to, to work in a garden center. And I'm sure that was a little perplexing. And I said, I just want to grow my own food. I want to be outside. I want to have my hands in the soil. And um, I want to live on a farm and, and just get back to the way I grew up. And Great. the look on his face, I thought, <laughs> I've completely flunked this interview. I, I think I'm, I'm done for. He's not going to take me. He just had the strangest look on his face. And come to find out months and months later, that's when he said um, to himself, I think I just met my wife. <laughs> well, that's a, lo- that's a lovely way to ha- have that story, that part of that story end. My goodness. Keep on. And yeah. uh, so, so now, um, since, since, Working with the nursery, you came back around to working with Cooking Light, and uh, I understand you you produce vegetables for their um, for their recipes for development in the magazine, and that's what that's led right. to the production of the um, the Pick Fresh Cookbook was really coming out of your work with, that's with right. Cooking that's Light right. second time around. 
Great. It is such an incredible project. And I have to say, um, of course, I'm biased with Cooking Light. I, I feel like I grew up there with my career. but mm-hmm. um, And they've um, trained me on everything that I know about food and love with food and the whole world that comes with it. But I have to give credit to the staff there and to the editor. Um, the executive editor who works with me is, is, has great imagination and vision, Philip Rhodes came to me and said, I want to get back to the source of food, and why not bring that into our test kitchen? So let's Fantastic. go through seed catalogs and find funky varieties like a, the heritage uh, fish pepper, or mm-hmm. let's look at all the new lettuces, you know, what what is heat resistant or bolt resistant. And so we've had a lot of fun shopping together through seed catalogs, and tr- it's it's technically a trial garden. We mm-hmm. grow mm-hmm. everything from, you know, soup to nuts out here, and I bring baskets and baskets into the test kitchens, which is a lot of fun. I feel oh, like that must be great. Santa Claus every day <laughs> when I do that, <laughs> because it brings everybody such joy to see everything come full circle from seed to plate, as we say. It's been neat. I wanted to ask you to talk a little about, you know, you're very fortunate to be able to garden in a huge space, but one of the things that um, I do love about about the, the cookbook and your work in general, I mean, the cookbook's great because we have all these beautiful recipes with gorgeous pictures, but in the back, there's a section about gardening, about growing these vegetables yourselves, vegetables and fruits. And um, in addition to traditional garden beds, you do discuss the option of container gardening. And I thought for our listeners, um, you know, not everybody has access to um, a big outdoor growing space, that, that containers are actually something that are pretty accessible for most folks to be able to take advantage of. And um, I was wondering if you could give us some of your expert tips on, on how to get started. You know, uh, where do I set my containers up? What kind of containers should I get? Just real basic. Right. Well, I would say your first step is actually to get started. And as, I mean, as simple as that sounds, you look through magazines and you look through books and you get really excited about the pictures. And then so many people, I think, talk themselves out of it and think that it's harder than it really is. And mm-hmm. I will tell you, is just to take that first step and buy a container, bring home a bag of really great potting soil and one plant, because it, the plant inherently wants to grow. I mean, a seed wants to grow if you give it sun and soil and water it it will do what it's supposed to do and Mm -hmm. it's not so cumbersome and unapproachable that that it's not rocket science there is science to it of course but i think what people um what i like to talk about with the book with pick fresh and container gardening is you can garden anywhere if you have just a few containers, say three pots of varying sizes. You, if you have shade or sun, you, you are absolutely set up to succeed. It just We have to choose the right plants for mm-hmm. the sun requirement. Mm-hmm. Um, and so do you usually think, find that information? Well, can the nursery so talk to the nursery? They can probably help me or, or whoever's working at that garden center. Tell them. That's a wonderful resource. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely go to your local garden center, your independent garden center. Those guys know a lot. Um, in the book, we actually try to walk you through at least 50. I could squeeze 50 fruits, vegetables, and herbs <laughs> into those pages. So um, we wanted to bring as much of a cookie-like garden that, that we do every day, you know, cram as much as we could into that book. So that's a great resource for an overview and different varieties to try and what the sun requirements are and um, what kind of fertilizing and feeding schedule um, they need. For instance, a Swiss chart would be a wonderful leafy green that is very ornamental to grow in a pot, has beautiful color. You've got ribbed 
um, stems of, say, magentas and yellows and bright pinks and all sorts of beautiful colors. And then, of course, the green, um, leafy green part. And that grows well in the shade, but it also mm-hmm. grows well in the sun. Um, and it's, it's equally ornamental as a pot of flowers, I think. Yeah. Um, so that's, I think the garden centers are, are great resources. Uh, obviously, um, the book would help. It, one of the best resources any gardener uh, could find would be a fellow gardener because mm-hmm. um, it's, it's a wonderful community of, of very social folks who yep. love food and love to tell you about what they've done. I mean, you and I could probably talk all day about the things that we've tried to grow and recipes and mm-hmm. swap, um, swap tips and things. And I think what works well in your area, your neighbor will know. Right. And that's right. a wonderful resource. So when you start thinking about what you're going to plant, how do you, how do you walk through the, the steps? I think when we talked before, you talked about, you know, well, what do I want to plant? Well, what do I want to eat? So, Right, so, right. Well, yeah. a wonderful question to ask yourself first is what, what do I like to eat? I mean, if you're growing for, you know, if you're growing edibles, you obviously want to eat it. So grow something that you like to eat. But the caveat to that, I would also say, is throw in a few things that you think you might not like or mm-hmm. would be a little more adventurous for you to try. So definitely grow what you normally eat and, and are excited to, to, you know, have every day, but also a few wild cards, mm-hmm. if you will. I think another um, point of consideration is what's expensive at the grocery store. Yeah. Uh, I think really one of the point. things that I, yeah, I mean, when you go into the grocery store and you see the, the bagged uh, mini bell peppers, you know, the gourmet organic mini bell peppers for, I don't know, eight ninety nine, and you get four little teeny tiny bell peppers out of that. You can grow one plant that may <laughs> cost two ninety nine at the store or a packet of seed, you know, for $2.00 for a lot of plants, and you can have more peppers than you could eat all summer long. And I think <laughs> if you consider the the, uh, the pocketbook savings, if you will, right. I think Container gardening is a way to save money and make a fortune, <laughs> or save your fortune. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. If you have a few acres, maybe you can make a fortune. Uh, farmers aren't in it for fortunes, I will tell you yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. And so one, one of the um, other points you sort of touched on with the Swiss chart, I think is a really nice thing to think about, is the ornamental aspect of what you're growing in those in those pots um you know are there any plants that folks really should be looking out for because they're so pretty that they'll 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 add both you know beauty to their plate but also beauty for the eye right that's a wonderful question and i think sometimes folks think as a category that edibles aren't attractive Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I know we're, we're specifically talking about containers, but I would encourage everyone to look at your landscape as a whole and find where you can tuck in a Brussels sprout or you can tuck in a few rows of kale um, mm-hmm. behind your row of pansies, what have you. It would work equally as well in your landscape as any annual or perennial planting that you have, and you get the bonus of eating it. But I think overall... Maybe I'm a little biased, but just about every vegetable out there has to have some sort of ornamental value to it, I think. <laughs> Whether you're talking about a red cabbage, I mean, worlds of beautiful, you know, purple red cabbages out in the garden, that's a gorgeous plant. I grew a squash this past mm-hmm. year that I fell madly in love with, um, and it's it, I grew it in a container. A lot of folks think squash will take over your garden, and they can. They absolutely yeah. can. It's huge. Huge leaves, and they're very prolific. Um, 
But if you look for varieties that are, they'll say, bush or compact or mm-hmm. container-friendly on the seed packet, mm-hmm. that is a clue that it'll, it'll do well in a container. And one variety I love um, called Ostia, and maybe mm-hmm. Astia, Astia, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but A-S-T-I-A. Okay. I got these seeds from uh, Renee's Garden, and it was a very compact variety of zucchini, so a mm-hmm. summer squash. And the leaves were this beautiful marbled green and white um, pattern that were absolutely ornamental. And then, of course, you get these huge yellow flowers that you can also mm-hmm. stuff and eat and roast and fry and do these wonderful things, too. And then you get loads of zucchini as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's lovely. And um, and also really convenient, I would think, because most of us would put containers close to our ha- our house, you know, close to our back door. And so popping out to grab a couple blossoms for um, a garnish or to try stuffing or frying, that's nice to not have to truck all the way down to the to the back 40 that's right. to do that. That's right. Um, assuming everyone <laughs> and has I a think... back 40 to truck down to, you know. But. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, although I will find myself out in, in my at night or in my, you know, throwing on some flip-flops to run out at night while I'm snipping chives or something for dinner. But absolutely make it easy on yourself and put a container right. garden of herbs, um, especially herbs, by your back door. Mm-hmm. That would make, mm-hmm. make cooking quick and easy. Excellent. And one other thing we had talked about was the idea of cooking potato, uh, sorry, cooking, uh, growing potatoes in a container, which I think is, sounds like it'd be pretty fun, especially for a family with kids to get out there and, and harvest those new potatoes as they're growing. That's it. I mean, anything under the soil, I think, mm-hmm. is so much fun for children. If you watch that, I mean, maybe it's just the wonder of what's under there and kind of the hidden factor of what grows beneath the soil line, but carrots and radishes and um, potatoes, anything of that nature. When I've seen a child harvest those, I mean, their eyes are bigger than the potatoes. They have mm-hmm. so much fun with that. And potatoes for children and adults are a lot of fun and can be very easy. Containers would be even easier than growing in the ground because if you think of it, you can just pump over the container at the end of the season mm. onto a tarp or a screen rather than having to dig for them. Right. Which makes it a lot easier on your back, yeah. I will tell you. Yeah. A little um, potato harvesting but, party. Yeah. But if you were to get, say, a 24-inch uh, diameter container or a whiskey barrel or some folks, I mean, you can go rogue if you don't want it to look beautiful. You can grow <laughs> potatoes in a trash can <laughs> as long as there's drainage. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I've even grown them in a really heavy-duty thick plastic, um, black plastic bag. Mm-hmm. You just mm-hmm. poke a few, you know, drainage holes in the bottom and give it some support so it doesn't fall over. But uh-huh. potatoes will grow just about anywhere. Oh, that's wonderful. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, so once we've, we've harvested all these amazing vegetables from our, from our backyard container gardens, we want to eat them. So um, one of the <laughs> one of the things that I think is 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 great is to have a few uh, tools in the toolbox that we can pull out and use uh, that are pretty variable based on what we've harvested. And uh, so one of the things I really liked when I was looking through your book was a recipe you had in there actually, uh, which used those potatoes, uh, this potato and vegetable salad. And um, you dressed it with a, um, a ranch dressing that uses a little mustard, which I think is a really nice, a nice touch. So, you know, we'll provide all these recipes for folks on the website so you guys can, can follow along at home. Why don't you talk me through, you know, how do you, you know, can you 
improvise, you know, walk out onto your, onto your imaginary patio there and build me a salad, you know, based on what you're, what you're pulling from your containers and maybe a simple dressing that you might whip up. Sure. Well, hopefully you would have the um, specific to potatoes. You've harvested these beautiful new potatoes, which really all that means is they're the first ones um, that have come in that you can dig right under the soil and, and get those before the rest of have filled out. So either mm-hmm. new potatoes or fingerling potatoes or any cute, colorful variety that you would like to showcase, this salad would do a really good job with that. And if you think of a traditional potato salad, usually there's some sort of mayonnaise type bonding agent and there's a lot of herbs and there's something crunchy. And the, the recipe that we have um, has a little zing to it with the mustard ranch. And this ranch will pull anything together with a summer <laughs> salad. It, it, if you've got, um, we love to use a base of reduced fat Greek yogurt. Mm-hmm. Um, it has a little zing to it already, but then when you add the Dijon mustard with that um, and a little bit of acid with a lemon juice and mm-hmm. sweetness with honey. The kicker with this potato salad to make it really fresh and vibrant is to add whatever herbs you have on hand. And in the mm-hmm. recipe, we use kind of the standard favorites of parsley and chives and dill. you got to have dill with a potato mm-hmm. salad. You just do. That's, that's tradition. I think that's a law somewhere, um, isn't that? <laughs> I, think, I think that's a written rule um, or maybe an unwritten rule. Um, but I think that's what would make any potato salad um, in the summer really, really fresh is to use whatever you have on hand in your herb garden. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the fact that you're using pink tomatoes or new tomatoes or little Russian fingerlings that are that golden yellow color, this dressing won't smother them so much that you can't enjoy that and see that. So it's a very colorful, vibrant spring salad. Lovely. Another variation on that herb theme was just the idea of making um, herb daiolis, you know, herbed mayonnaises. And um, mm-hmm. in the, the book, you, you pair some, some shrimp with a chive aioli, which I think sounds delicious. And I think a lot of folks get scared at the idea of, they think an aioli, they have to make that mayonnaise from scratch or are going to be cast out of the neighborhood or something for using <laughs> using mayonnaise from a jar. But, you know, it looks like you, you folks have done a really great job of, of carrying that aioli experience forward using um, using mayonnaise. And then again, with that reduced fat Greek yogurt. Right. Well, the idea with the cooking light recipe, and, and this one specifically, is that you can have dinner on the table in 30 minutes or less. Mm-hmm. And this recipe takes advantage of... Um, if you use the Greek yogurt, a little bit of canola mayonnaise, and then a lot of really vibrant, fresh additives like the lemon juice that's typical in an aioli and chives, mm-hmm. um, it's, a, it's a quick side. And in this specific recipe, we serve it with a crispy herb shrimp that has a lot of red pepper in it. So it's mm-hmm. also a cooling agent. It cools it off, right. <laughs> right, right. Um, so it's, it's a good foil for the heat. But I think it's... If you get um, over the hump of thinking an aioli has to be hand whipped for 30 minutes with a whip mm-hmm. from scratch, which is excellent as well, I would I'd do that. I'd do that as well. But when you're in a, in a hurry, in a pinch, this can work. And if you just add fresh herbs to it, it'll, you know. I mean, tell me all the ways that you use aioli sandwiches and salads. And yeah, how would you dip use or. Yeah, probably as well as a dip for vegetables, you know, maybe some more vegetables mm-hmm. that you've pulled out of those out of those containers or, um, yeah, I love it on a sandwich and really nice with hard-boiled eggs. If you make like a cheater's egg salad sandwich, don't even bother making the egg salad, uh, just yeah. sort of spreading it on toast. Um, yeah, I just love, I just love a good aioli. It's, it's, um, and, and the herbs really do... Um, they really can, if, even if you've got, you know, store-bought, there's nothing wrong with it, but those fresh herbs really bring it up 
and um, elevate the quality of the dining experience, I think. Um, I agree. I think if you start with the basis of fresh herbs for just about anything, you'll see it makes such a dramatic difference in the flavor and the freshness. I mean, something as simple as a homemade salad dressing mm-hmm. is night and day different than mm-hmm. what you can get in a store. Mm-hmm. And uh, one recipe I wanted to just call to folks' attention, too, is, you know, the, um, we'll have to joke about it now, is like the ubiquitous kale salad. Everyone's got a kale salad. Um, but <laughs> I, love, <laughs> I love the kale salad in this, in this cookbook because you use, in addition to kale, which um, some palates just, just can't get around, um, or maybe it's not available. You also utilize Swiss chard, which I think is, is a really lovely addition to that salad. Mm-hmm. But then you've made the sort of, to me anyway, non-traditional uh, choice of adding a garnish of toasted pumpkin seeds, which I think is a really nice, uh, nutty addition to that. But could you really just sort of take that salad and, and you know, again, modify it for what you have? Have you have you tried it with other vegetables or in other oh, preparations? Sure, sure. Um, and of course, it started as a kale salad and we, we've added in the alternate um, of Swiss chard, which was mm-hmm. it's great. You could, if you didn't have Swiss chard, you could try it with Beet greens, um, mm-hmm. those are equal, and it's very similar to Swiss chard. Um, I even have tried it with radish greens, but they mm-hmm. they have to be small, uh, pretty small, yeah, radish. yeah. So they aren't so thorny, hairy kind of guys. You wouldn't want a mouthful of that. <laughs> um, and I would say for those who have tried kale and maybe weren't in love with it, like the rest of the country, <laughs> because it is the number one vegetable right now, I think it also depends greatly on what variety of kale. If mm-hmm. you don't like the ones that are really frilly mm-hmm. and curly, um, those yeah, have a you see those as different... green kale in the supermarket or just curly kale right, is what right. you'll see. That has an entirely different mouthfeel than one variety called Lacinato, um, mm-hmm. where you see it marketed as dinosaur or, right, or Tuscan. Tuscan. Right. Mm-hmm. It has a lot of names, but yes. it's easily recognizable as a, it's a flatter leaf um, with a rippled texture and a much more blue-green uh, color to it. And that one is my favorite for the salad just because of the, the texture of the leaf. Mm-hmm. And I will also say that kale in general, no matter the variety, if it has gone through two or three frosts, mm-hmm. it is completely different flavor because the, the, the frosts have converted and within the leaves, something wonderful happens there with the sugars, um, starches, I should say, have converted over to sugars and it makes the leaf so much more sweet. And this salad actually is night and day different than had you had it in the middle of August. Right, instance. right. So this is a good maybe shoulder season kind of salad, you know, maybe in the mm-hmm. spring and again in the fall. Mm-hmm. Well, wonderful. Especially raw. Yeah. 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 Sure. yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, Mary Beth, I'd, left, I'd like to thank you so much for your time with us today. I can't wait to go out and dig, <laughs> start growing some things. <laughs> so um, Mary Beth Shaddix is the author of the Pick Fresh cookbook put out by Cooking Light. She also blogs for Cooking Light at cookinglight.com slash garden. That's where you can find the Simmer and Boil blog. And you can also find her on her website, marybethshaddix.com. Again, we'll have links to everything on our website, and we'd like to thank you all for listening. You've been listening to The Kitchen Workshop on Edible Radio. This podcast is a production of Edible Communities, all rights reserved.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.